Defence Dialogue, a podcast discussing contemporary challenges in the area of European security and defence. Brought to you by the Martin Centre with Nicholas Novaki. Welcome everybody to, um, to another episode of the Wilfried Martin Centre for European Studies um, Defence Dialogue podcast series. It's, it's been a while since uh, the last episode, uh, but quite a lot. Quite a lot has happened since. Uh, my, my name is Dr. Nikos Novaki, and with me here today, uh, like usually, uh, is uh, my very good colleague and friend, uh, Alvaro de la Cruz uh, from the Martin Center's communication team. Like, Alvaro, good to have you here today as well. Thank you, Nicholas. Good morning, uh, everyone. It is nine, uh, the ninth day of the invasion today, and uh, uh, it seems uh, weird, but I guess many more to come. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I mean, the big topic now that everybody everybody is talking in in, in, uh, in the field of security and defense is the uh, the Russian all-out war against uh, Ukraine, which which Alvaro uh, alluded to already. And this war began um, uh, last week on on the twenty fourth of February. Followed, kind of came uh, after months uh, or weeks of speculation, really, of like what Russia was hoping to achieve with its. Um, massive military buildup uh, along its border with Ukraine. But now finally, um, after after weeks of, of, of lies and disinformation, the masks have finally come off. Uh, war has shown its ugly face and people are dying as a result. Um, and I think Europe and the world must really do everything that they can to support Ukraine and the Ukrainian people uh, in their time of uh, need in this very dark time. And Europe, I think, was hoping uh, until the very end, until the morning of uh, February 24th, in which all of us learned about um, the, 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 the war that had started in Ukraine, that war could be avoided, and that Putin's uh, uh, aim in, 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 uh, with, with, uh, with, with the military buildup along Ukraine's border was mainly diplomatic, uh, that he would seek to use it mainly as, as a diplomatic leverage. As, as he had uh, done before. Russia temporarily increased its forces by the Ukrainian border also in, in, in um, spring uh, spring of last year, in, in 2021, it's good to remember, and gained uh, a bilateral summit between uh, President Putin and President Biden uh, by, by doing so. So I think there were kind of expectations that like this, this would be another uh, attempt to ex- ex- extort diplomatic concessions from Europe and the West. And Kind of most leaders and experts, like in 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 um, in, in the in the run up to the uh, to, to the 24th of February, really didn't quite think that uh, Russia would actually like launch uh, a massive all-out war in in Ukraine. But alas, uh, that is where we are at the moment. And in in uh, in the run up to the war, both Europe and the US also like tried to like deter. Uh, Russia from taking any sort of like aggressive uh, measures against Ukraine by by announcing that they would pass massive sanctions. I mean, if 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 the war would uh, begin, but the shock of uh, Russia's decision to go to war has has caused uh, quite a big change in in Europe's strategic culture, and and this change has been both massive and and sudden. Um, the EU has agreed uh, unprecedented sanctions and other restrictive measures against Russia. Uh, such as suspending the broadcasting activities like within the EU's own territory uh, of, uh, of Sputnik and, and Russia today, 
uh, Russian uh, state uh, state controlled media companies and also uh, banning um, seven Russian banks from the SWIFT uh, international payment system. Germany has also announced that it will uh, increase its defense spending massively and, and uh, that it will make a constitutional commitment to NATO's 2% of GDP defense spending target, uh, which is also a massive, massive change. And then um, many European countries are providing uh, bilateral uh, lethal military aid to Ukraine, providing arms, providing art, art, artillery pieces, etc., uh, which, which, which has also been a, a big, um, big sudden change. But then perhaps kind of for the European Union, the biggest change um, has been the EU's decision to provide a 450 million lethal arms uh, support package to Ukraine through the European Peace Facility. And this is the, uh, for the first time in the Union's history that the EU has approved the supply of lethal weapons uh, to, to, to a third country that is, uh, that is fighting a war and then really, really massive uh, cultural change. And we have to kind of remember that um, for a long time, I mean, there were kind of even even since the EU defense cooperation began, like there were discussions and arguments about whether the European Union like was was really a civilian power, like rather than a rather than a, a traditional one able to use military force or able to act geopolitically. But I think kind of this this decision kind of is really quite uh, groundbreaking and shows that. When the EU talks about that, it's 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 desire to speak the language of power and to act geopolitically. I mean, it's it's, it's it can do so. And so the entire underlying culture that has supported the development of uh, EU defense cooperation, like for the past decades, like has changed. Um, I already mentioned that it's it's, it's it has shown that. Uh, the EU can speak the language of power and act geopolitically, not just in the field of economics and geoeconomics, but also in, in, in the field of security and defense. And I think this is very good good news. Uh, I mean, if there's silver lining, like in any of this, I mean, it's, it's, it's very good news for all those EU countries like who have called for the, uh, the EU to take further steps towards becoming um, 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 a genuine uh, defense union. And this European Peace Facility um, lethal aid decision in particular, I think increases also indirectly the credibility of um, the EU's own mutual uh, aid and assistance commitments, like such as the credibility of uh, Article 42.7 of the Treaty of the European Union, which mentions that uh, if, if one EU member state becomes subject um, to armed aggression on its territory, like then all the other member states like shall have an obligation to, towards it to provide all the aid and assistance uh, that they can uh, to, to, to help it. And, and I think um, this decision to, to provide lethal aid and uh, assistance to Ukraine, like also strengthens indirectly this uh, mutual assistance uh, commitment or its credibility. And also, I mean, it, it will make the EU, um, it will increase the EU's uh, attractiveness as a security and defense partner to other countries as well, like not just Ukraine, but. When, when they see that the EU is able to kind of master this sort of political will to provide, uh, not just to agree on sanctions, but to also provide uh, military equipment and capabilities to a country fighting uh, a war. I mean, it, it, it will also increase the EU's attractiveness to countries, for example, in the Indo-Pacific, um, which, which, which I think is very positive too. So um, I think just finally, like given everything that's going on, um, I don't think the EU should really rush to 
adopt um, some of these ongoing um, uh, plans that have been kind of now quite dramatically affected by the war in Ukraine. And I, I'm thinking especially of the um, forthcoming strategic compass, um, which the EU is meant to uh, adopt this month uh, in March. Um, and then also afterwards, after it has been adopted by the, uh, the, the Council of the EU, by the ministers, um, it is also meant to be endorsed by uh, heads of state and government in the European Council. And according to the original time uh, timeline, like uh, there's going to be a uh, Foreign Affairs Council towards the, uh, towards the end of the month in which it will be adopted and um, then uh, endorsed afterwards by the European Council. But there's already been kind of a couple of drafts of the strategic compass, I mean, which which were uh, developed before the war and before the uh, um, really even kind of before uh, tensions between the European Union and Russia like peaked um, at the beginning of the year. So. I think kind of given everything that has changed, uh, given like the massive cultural changes also in the field of European defense cooperation, like it would be take good to not rush uh, the finalization of the strategic compass and take the proper time to, 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 to revise it and to make sure that, I mean, it, it reflects the current uh, realities um, and, 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 and uh, does not seem outdated the moment that it is uh, adopted. I think many of the ongoing kind of the remaining disputes that have kind of characterized the strategic compass process, such as, I mean, what to do with uh, Article 44 of the Treaty on the European Union, which which would basically make it possible for certain groups of EU member states to launch coalitions of the willing uh, uh, in, in crisis management operations. Um, so even if not all countries would, would participate, I mean, some countries could uh, launch these sort of coalitions of the willing. But disagreements over these sorts of instruments like seem rather trivial at the moment, and 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 uh, I, I think kind of it it it, it 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 there needs to kind of be uh, more. Uh, it, it really needs to be kind of revised quite uh, quite strongly uh, the, the document before it's adopted. Um, the 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 if it isn't a kind of sufficiently like revised in the coming weeks, and if there isn't sufficient time, I mean then. Like I mentioned, it will it will be outdated probably. I mean, the moment it will be adopted, and then it will also increase like the relevance of NATO's own strategic concept. I mean, there's there's been kind of some. I mean, since since NATO began to draft its own strategic concept, I mean, the strategic compass process has become like a little bit overshadowed by that anyway, because that is kind of where most EU member states, uh, NATO is where most EU member states like do the security and defense policy anyway, and the strategic compass process has been kind of allocated to this secondary slot. But kind of for the moment, it looks like uh, most EU countries like want to follow the current, uh, the previously agreed timeline when it comes to uh, adopting and finalizing the strategic compass. Uh, so meaning that it would still be uh, adopted in March, uh, but, but um, uh, we'll see like things can change um, very quickly as we've seen in the past kind of few days and and, and uh, uh, if it is adopted I, I do hope that I mean it, it, it has been uh, revised um, sufficiently uh, to, to reflect these uh, new realities that we are facing that's it okay so indeed we we see how much the invasion of Ukraine has changed uh, Europe's strategic culture but um Let's let's develop a little bit on on both the European Union's strategic compass and NATO's strategic concept. Uh, NATO's strategic concept, the current one, is around 12 years old, if I'm not mistaken, and it even describes something like uh, the pursuit of a true strategic partnership between NATO and Russia. So, 
it's 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 not only old it's it's completely outdated by by many circumstances and even the draft of the strategic compass uh, the european strategic compass um was drafted before not only the, the invasion but also um, um the russian private security group warner uh, acting in in france in africa against france so i, I my first question would be um is is there still time to update the strategic compass uh, sufficiently is the nato strategic concept the only hope and also do we take serious consideration also to other fronts such as sahel and in, in, in africa as not only uh, tourist groups but also russia is 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 approaching that that front and that would potentially affect much much more southern european countries what do you think nicholas I mean, with with the timeline, like I said, I mean, it's 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 difficult to say. I mean, there's there's not a lot of time left uh, at, at the moment to 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 revise um, the the, um, the 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 document, and it it it's 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 not kind of totally easy. Also, to say kind of beyond the threat analysis section, I mean, how would how how would the uh, how how should the um, the 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 war kind of um, affect uh, the compass? I think the, the 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 sections on 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 the EU's own kind of uh, resilience and the relevance of of um, uh, instruments such as uh, Article 42.7, the mutual assistance clause. I mean, would certainly have to be strengthened. There would have to be kind of stronger language on 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 like a great clearer proposals on 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 on, on how um, these mutual assistance like clauses could be used. In a crisis, and what sort of aid and assistance member states like could potentially uh, um, receive, like through it, and that's one. And, and uh, perhaps also like then um, on on how additional proposals and what the European Union can do to support like kind of partners uh, like fighting wars uh, through the various instruments that it has. Um, in 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 the Sahel, I mean, yeah, I mean this. This is something that I mean the EU has been kind of now discussing for quite some time, like the increased presence of, of the uh, Wagner Group in, in places such as the Central African Republic uh, and and and, uh, and Mali, and it has made the operating environments of the EU's own uh, uh, security and defence uh, policy missions and operations, like in those countries, quite a bit more complicated than they have been before. And in fact, many of these missions, I mean, have become the target of uh, disinformation operations and like uh, that, that and cyber attacks uh, that that people say are, are orchestrated uh, by, by 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 Russia as well. So the compass or the, or the drafts, I mean, they also talk about increasing the resilience and and, and of the of, of um, EU CSDP missions and operations towards uh, various types of disinformation and cyber attacks. And I think this is one way to kind of ad ad address it. But but then. Of course, I mean it's it's a much more geopolitical question uh, when you ask. I mean, how the, the EU can kind of what can it and what should it do to to um, to um, mitigate the, uh, the the increased influence of actors such as China and, and, and Russia in Africa? And that's a much more complicated question. Yeah, definitely, I agree. Um, well, on on the other hand, uh, we've seen. Uh, both uh, Sweden and Finland uh, changing a historical uh, defense approach, even Switzerland and Ireland, when it comes to uh, their neutrality uh, in actions such as the sanctions change as well. 
Germany and now Italy announcing that they will reach or even overpass the 2% GDP investment in defense. Uh, for some, more that more has been done for the European defense and, and security in a week than in the precedent 33 years. But my concern is, how long do you think this is sustainable? For how long citizens and governments will be willing to not only invest this much money, but effort and capabilities and and sustain the, the economical uh, the economical also loses the that it implies for Europe. Do you think this is something that is that has come for good to stay? Um, it's, it's too early to say. I mean, it depends on several factors. I mean, it depends on how long the 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 war in Ukraine like will go on, and I mean, and and what sort of spillover over effects i mean it, it will have uh, towards to to europe and the european union i mean if it it becomes like a prolonged uh conflict such as the war such as the war in, like that, that we had in afghanistan for years if the spillover effects like remain limited then at some point there in, in time there will be a moment in, in which like people will start to like lose interest and, and the thing kind of will become normalized as 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 the ukraine kind of conflict the conflict in the Donbas and, and, and the Donetsk region, region, like since 2014, I mean, like became. I mean, let's not forget that, I mean, Ukraine has been fighting a war, I mean, or has been a country in war, like since 2014. And and um, at some point in time, uh, when, when when conflicts become prolonged, I mean, they get they get they get stuck um other other things happen and people lose interest and then all those people like who now in social media kind of have, have put ukrainian flags into their profile pictures i mean we'll start to kind of look into other things that's one danger um i think it's important to kind of keep it on on, on the agenda of, of, of uh, the european union and and, uh, and 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 the west now but but the good thing is that i mean what, what we've seen in the past um, week or so, I mean, has, has has been kind of rather dramatic, and the changes have been quite uh, quite big. Um, then it's 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 electoral question as well to some extent. I mean, when when ele elections start to happen, and, and uh, whether these sorts of <clears throat> uh, whether they have stronger European defence policy or stronger um, increased defence budgets, like it will be something that. European uh, voters like will vote for, um, even even if uh, there is an ongoing war against uh, uh, that Russia is fighting against Ukraine, is something that remains to be seen. But this does really require then kind of um, political um, leadership and, and courage from from the political class uh, to 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 then make the point, explain clearly like why it is in the interest of their voters to. Um, um, support increased uh, defense budgets yeah no it's uh, certainly certainly it's um it's yet to be seen for how long we are we are willing to invest that much there's of course uh, cases and examples of countries that actually are not doing well uh, economically in a sustained uh, long time like greece that still invest a, a big part of their GDPs, but uh, I have trouble seeing countries like mine, Spain or Portugal having lots of uh, debt and, and unemployment. Although some say that uh, the military industry can create a lot of jobs, uh, I, I have my doubts that they will be willing to sustain, sustain a, a long time effort in this sense. On the other hand, 
some some sources say that that Russia has in just these first few days of invasion lost as many troops as they did in eight years in Syria, and that in if the the, the current trend sustain, uh, they will lose more in two weeks that they did in in over a decade in Afghanistan. I I I know that rationality is not behind uh, Putin's um, uh, mind uh, usually, but do you think they're willing to 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 sacrifice whatever it takes uh, to to achieve this uh, this invasion? Well, I mean, he said yesterday that I mean they will do like I mean whatever whatever needs to be done to kind of finish the war, and and like over the past couple of days, I mean we've seen that the tactics have become more brutal. There've been kind of more more missile strikes, uh, more civilian targets have been hit, uh, there've been kind of more casualties. Um, but with regards to the Russian casualties, I mean. Yeah, I mean, we we don't. I don't think kind of we can verify them like in 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 any credible way yet. We also kind of don't like Ukraine hasn't like also kind of said anything about like its own casualties yet, as far as I know. But but uh, like Russia is 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 a country that 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 um, has a very high tolerance uh, for for pain. And like if history like can teach us anything and and that is kind of uh, that that is a concerning fact um that that's um like when putin says that i mean he will is ready to do kind of whatever it takes i mean i mean you you, you have to kind of take him by his word and kind of accept and 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 plan, or at least kind of plan uh for the for, for plan for the eventuality that, that he's serious like when he says that and the, we have to kind of therefore like do what we can to support the Ukrainians kind of fighting against uh, Russia in, in, in Ukraine at the moment. Um, and open, because like the more time goes on, uh, the more difficult it will become then to uh, for them to to uh, to resist and to fight back simply because the military balance is so overwhelmingly in 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 in, in Russian Russia, Russia's favor. In terms of manpower, in terms of capabilities, um, it's 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 it is very difficult. Yeah, well, not sure about manpower. Maybe for for sure for professional uh, soldiers now, the the number of uh, Ukrainian citizens uh, willing to fight it's ten to one in in favor of Ukraine. But of course, if we don't provide them with the equipment, military equipment needed, it's it's going to be impossible for them to resist much longer. Yeah, I mean that's that's it. I mean it's it's difficult to kind of if it becomes kind of a Afghanistan type situation in in, in yeah. which like Russia, like I mean let's hope this it, it does not happen. But I mean if if they kind of gain military control of, of of the entire country, and or even if they gain kind of military control of parts of the country, uh, if this if the civilian population like resists. Um, like in in and and in an in, in and kind of sets up an insurgency kind of against the invaders. I mean, it becomes like rather difficult to uh, to 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 control it, to control the territory. And I think the Russians uh, Russians know this. Um, so what what is what the Ukrainians also, of course, kind of have on their side is that like I mean they 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 know the country and like they know it um, better. They know they know the environment better than. Um, better than the Russians, and they can use it in, in their advantage, like when they are fighting the uh, the, the Russian invaders.
Yeah, one of the uh, most uh, successful or strongest instruments we have to to uh, help them right now is the European Peace Facility. But this is an off-budget uh, instrument that has a ceiling. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, we already use 500 million, which is close to the ceiling for this year spending. Uh, I think it's um, uh, around 5.6 billion euros for, for, for six years spending. Is there a possibility to adapt uh, and overfund this, this instrument? Do you know if there's a, a possibility for us to, to adapt, change and, and uh, overpass these ceilings pre-established? Yeah, I mean, if, 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 if they want, if, if the member states, I mean, want to kind of increase it like significantly, I mean, then of course they can do it because it's an off budget instrument. And I don't remember now exactly kind of, I mean, what the procedure of kind of in, in, increasing, uh, of it, of, of, of its uh, budget is. But member states like contribute to the European Peace Facility, like in accordance, um, with their with their uh, cross national income, so that means that like Germany is is is, is the largest uh, contributor, and then whatever country like has the smallest uh, GDP uh, cross national income uh, contrib contributes the least. And the, the 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 kind of seven year budget for the EPF was agreed like in in the framework of the MFF negotiations um, you know, when when they when they finished um, uh, last year. No, 2020, 2020 they finished. And, and, um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, now the 500 uh, million that has been kind of agreed for Ukraine, like is more or less kind of what, 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 the, what it can dispense in, 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 uh, in one year. Um, so, I mean, depending on like how, how long the conflict will, will last and depending on like how much, uh, what, what the political willingness to provide arms to Ukraine, like by it is, I mean, it may, it may of course kind of be possible then to, uh, or it may, it may become necessary to increase the, uh, the the budget amount of the European Peace Facility, but it, but yeah, I mean it's it's another very interesting change that like this instrument is is used to now provide um, lethal aid and assistance to Ukraine because it used to be uh, the um, it used to be the old Athena mechanism, um, or actually I mean it's 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 a combination of the old Athena mechanism and the African Peace Facility. The Athena mechanism is basically an instrument that was used to finance a common cost of EU military crisis management operations, and and, and now that like this thing has kind of morphed into uh, an instrument that you, you can use to kind of provide military aid and equipment to uh, to to uh, to a country fighting a war is, is is quite extraordinary. I I have a last question, Nicholas. Um, we are we're talking about the strengthening strengthening of, of the European strategic autonomy and defense. Uh, what about the United States? Is this invasion a change of paradigm in the current uh, trend uh, for American foreign policy? Are they going to pay some attention to Europe again or they will remain focused on the Pacific? No, I don't think it's going to be a paradigm change. I mean, it's it's like there does seem to, I mean, the, the Americans have wanted like since the, since the uh, Obama um, times to kind of refocus on the Indo-Pacific because I mean, like their main like concern is 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 is, is still China and what is happening in the Indo-Pacific, and Russia has shown that I mean it has this kind of ability to kind of pull back the Americans to to Europe as it did in 2014 and as it as it as it is kind of doing now again. Um, I mean the Americans are now concerned, of course, and like focused on like what is happening in 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 Europe. 
uh, the role of uh, NATO will increase, um, and 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 uh, the the importance of NATO will also kind of in increase in the eyes of the Americans because I mean it becomes again kind of more apparent to them I mean why organizations such as NATO are unnecessary in the first place and 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 uh, um, also that like Russia can act aggressively uh, and, and and that it, it has uh, intentions to. Uh, Use military force to advance uh, its its aims, but the uh, but I mean whether I, I don't kind of the Americans will now kind of re remain focused at least in the short term uh, in, in Europe, but I mean I think their kind of core foreign policy is still that I mean they would want Europe to do more for their own defense, and 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 um, eventually kind of keep a keep a closer eye then on on, on the uh, on the on the Indo-Pacific. But yeah, I mean, they, the Americans kind of tend to get uh, pulled back into, into into Europe. I mean, whenever something like this happens, so I, I think kind of now that there is a moment in, in time in which the Americans are again kind of focused in Europe, and uh, that they are focused in, in on, on NATO, uh, it's, it's necessary to uh, do what we can also to kind of uh, uh, ensure that uh, NATO is is, is um, up to date and that it is able to meet the kind of various threats and challenges that it can face. And it's good that the uh, strategic concept uh, process is going on at the moment and that NATO will adopt a new uh, strategic concept then uh, I think this summer in in the, in the Madrid um, summit so I mean we have to use use this this moment to uh, uh, that the that the Americans are giving us to focus in Europe well let's hope and pray that the Ukrainians will perceive that we will meet the expectations and the historical moment requires and uh, Thank you very much for a very interesting uh, insight on, on the situation, Nicholas. Thanks a lot. And thanks, thanks to everybody for listening. That was today's episode of Defence Dialogue. Subscribe to our podcasts for more.